Good morning, First Church. I'm glad that you are here with us this morning. I am excited to let you know that in one of our services this weekend at the noon service, we are going to baptize not one, but two babies. So it's a set of twins, Liana and Logan. And um, we just met the parents, Ryan and Lisa, who just moved into the area from out of state and have started to uh, gather with us during this pandemic. And I wanted to share that with you. May that be as encouraging and inspiring to you as it has been for me. Now, first, I want to start off with an old tale that has been said in different ways, changing the characters, but the lesson remains intact. And yes, I changed the characters too, just to keep it in-house, um, just to make sure that I don't come across like I'm judging another church or denomination. But the story goes like this. There's two strangers who encounter one another, and as they begin to introduce each, to each other, one says, do you attend church? The other one says, yes, I attend a Methodist church. The other person excited to hear that says, well, me too. And the follow-up question was, do you attend free Methodist church, primitive Methodist church, the Southeastern Congregational Methodist church, the Bethel Methodist church, by the way, just to name a few, the other person says, I attend United Methodist Church. The other person, even more excited, oh my gosh, me too. I am United Methodist. So then the person says, so part of the United Methodist, are you part of the North Central jurisdiction or Southeastern jurisdiction or the South Central jurisdiction or the Southeastern jurisdiction? The other person says, well, as a United Methodist, I am part of the Southeastern jurisdiction. The other person says, oh, no way, me too. So as a United Methodist in the Southeastern jurisdiction, are you part of the Florida Conference or the West Alabama Florida Conference, the Louisiana, the Kentucky, which conference? The other person says, I am part of the Florida Conference. By now, they're just excited. Me too. We are just basically family here. So the follow-up question. Okay, so as a United Methodist in the southeastern jurisdiction, part of the Florida Conference, are you part of the Southwest District, the, the Gulf Central District, North Central District, or the Southeast District? The other person says, I'm part of the Southeast District. So now they're like two peas in a pod. Me too. We are best friends here. So then the follow-up question was, as a United Methodist, southeastern jurisdiction of the Florida Conference Southeast District, are you in the zip code 33085 or part of the zip code 33087? And the other person says, well, I'm part of the zip code 33087. And the other person goes, oh, hmm, yikes. You're on the other side of the tracks. God bless you. You're going to need it. And just like that, they have to go their separate ways. Isn't that a reality that we see too often? 
a scenario that shows how there's a great deal of similarities and common ground, but then when we meet at a point where there's a difference, it just becomes so incredibly apparently impossible to remain engaged with joy, with intentionality, with the will to continue building a fellowship and a friendship. Why is that? Is it that we are missing yet one more thing that we need to have in common in order to remain in fellowship, to love one another? Or is it that we are missing something much more profound and actually much more important? And if that is the case, what is it? Today I want to explore with you through the lens of the letter of Paul to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, that so often more often than maybe we can admit or realize offset is that we are missing love, the need, the centrality of love. So after the first nine verses of chapter one in Corinthians, that for the next three weeks, I'm going to focus on 1 Corinthians. Many of us know that eventually at some point, chapter 13, it's that very well-known chapter of love. Let us not romanticize. There's so much more to love. And I'm going to read today starting in verse 10, and I'm going to jump a little bit for the sake of time, but I hope that you take the time and you read at least chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. And it reads like this. Paul says, Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I will jump now to verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. Verse 26, consider your own call. Brothers and sisters, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. By the way, that foolish, it's about, he's talking about the cross. What Jesus did, claiming at the way for victory. I resume reading. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He, God, is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us 
wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians because Paul loves this community. Paul cares deeply for how they are advancing the formation of the church. And Paul cares so deeply that he's not going to ignore the challenges that he's being reported of, the quarrels and the divisions. So he names it. And he calls on that problem and he's talking about how they are grouping themselves around an allegiance to different leaders. And I mentioned a few of those names. Paul says that there is too much focus. Well, the fact that there is focus apparently above other things for the people to align with a concept, with an idea, with a person, that itself is creating a division amongst them. And that's a problem. And Paul mentions certain names, including his own, but he talks about these people because, by the way, those are people who God has called with a distinctive mission to build the kingdom, to build the church. Some of them baptized. Paul didn't not baptize everyone. Paul planted many of the churches, and then he had other ministers and other leaders baptize and teach and do more ministry. Chapter 3, verse 6, Paul says, I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. In other words, folks, let's keep it in perspective. This is how this works. Paul and, and Apollos, by the way, they see themselves as examples of what it's like to be a willing vessel, what it's like to do their part, contribute, and they have less of a problem with one another versus the way that the people are struggling with how to make sense of their role to the point that there's rivalry, there's competition, there's suspicion, and there's hesitation. And just like that, divisions. And just like that, other focuses permeate the church. As the letter unfolds, beginning in chapter three, uh, 3, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as a spiritual people. The fact is, we are addressing this. And this is basic. It's foundational. So I can't go forward right now with more uh, matters in depth for spiritual, mature Christian believers. And in chapter 3, with love and respect, Paul says, we got to take it back a notch, back to basics, because perhaps you are infants in Christ. That may sound offensive, but he's speaking with love. Paul says, let me remind you of how victory works. God conquered 
and how exactly that God conquered. Love won through the crucifixion and the death of Jesus Christ. And that sounds so paradoxical. That is absurd. It's counterculture for me and for you, for all of us. That is exactly how God does the impossible possible. That's how God shows a powerful breakthrough. That's what it means to talk and worship a God who's so powerful that he can and only he can do it differently and perfectly, unlike how we can do it. God's wisdom is unmatchable. And there's a verse in this um, here, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 through 3, where it says, For God's way is wiser than human wisdom. And Jesus' weakness on the cross was yet or still much stronger than the human strength collectively put together. Paul mentions baptism. And it's not that he's dismissing the value of baptism, but he is de-emphasizing who baptized who and what kind of ritual we're doing and where they're doing it because Paul is trying to break through all the other layers and the barriers and conditions that humans create with the so-called attempt to honor and glorify God. Today, we hear about this concept of cancel culture. And our children and our youth are being shaped by this notion. And in very simple terms, it basically means that when there's this one difference between one and the other, we might as well just write each other off. We have to cancel each other off. Despite any similarities, we write people off. This is happening in social media, but in all context, at work, in the church, and even in their households around the table. So in case you're wondering, but don't we need to cancel certain things? Yes, we do. The moment we have to talk about parameters and boundaries, something stays out. At night, I have to close my door to avoid a thief coming in, invading my home. I have to close the door to avoid a bear, just whatever. Likewise, there's parameters in place because we have to avoid sin from coming in. Don't forget that God's nature there's no sin in God's nature. That's one. Second, sin keeps us apart from God. Third, sin breaks up our relationships and divides us and splits marriages and splits homes and divides friendships. So yeah, there is a need to keep certain things out. So how do we go about that is the million-dollar question. Through what means, what is our starting point, and what is our end goal? And here, I, you might not be too surprised with the answer because it's basic, but it's true and will always be true. Love 
It's in Christ from beginning through to the end. Love helps us do it in a way according to how Jesus Christ exemplified that. So that's why it doesn't mean that we are to be indifferent to what is happening around us. It doesn't mean that we are to simply rely on law and law alone. It doesn't mean that we are to cheapen grace. But it does mean that at the foundational level, it is Jesus Christ and love that brings us together. Because let us always remember that you and I are saved by grace because God loved us first. Chapter 3, verse 11. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. The foundation is Jesus Christ. There it is. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, and this context it says with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, and in our context, money, fame, authority, power, whatever we relate to today, when we add trying to help Jesus, we're putting a foundation over another foundation. And the text continues to say, the day will come when the work of each builder will become visible. Verse 14, if what has been built on the foundation survives, the builder will receive a reward. John 15 I always try to make a correspondence cohesiveness to the Gospels. Today, it's John 15. Let us remember that Jesus is the true vine. And the word of God says, Jesus explained to those who wanted to listen, abide in me as I abide in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. What are we going to do, church? How are we going to continue persevering as a community of faith? We're going to go down in history, among other things, maybe as a church of COVID-19 and 2020 and all of its eventfulness. What are we going to do? How are we going to continue to persevere? Do we really want to take seriously that we are responsible for our part today? And I hope that your answer individually and then all of our voices together is yes. What is it that we're missing? It's not one more thing to have in common. More often than not, what we are missing is the love the way Jesus Christ exemplified it. Many people claim that church is critical in their lives, so important in their lives. And when we couldn't meet so many churches around the world, we did everything we could to offer this right here online. Always, always admitting that it's not a substitute. It will never take over the proximity, the realness of being with one another. But we'll do what we have to do. 
And then we have offered this tool, and now people can watch on Sunday at 6 a.m. or 6 p.m., three days later, um, in your bed, sitting around the kitchen table, anywhere you want in the comfort of however you decide to do, to view a worship experience. But you and I can also admit that even that gets hard. And we can actually dwell in that, yeah, but it's not the same. So because it's not the same, and it's not really nourishing me the way that I'm used to, I think I'm just going to cancel. I think I'm just going to wait this out. I think I'm just going to hop around. And then we finally come into the service and certain things have to be changed because of the need. Right now, there's a lot of distance amongst us, six feet or more, and we wear masks. We never imagined, I never imagined having to register. My husband has to register with the kids so that to make sure that we have enough space and we're prepared. I would have never thought. And sometimes because that newness, which wasn't something that we were embracing or, or planning, we have a choice. See, that's too different. That's not what I prefer. So I'm just not going to engage. I'll ask it one last time. Is it that we have to have that one more other thing so that we can remain engaged and lean towards one another and want to build the community of Jesus Christ for God's glory? Or is it that we're missing a deeper kind of authentic love? What do you think influences the mind of children and youth, of people who are yet to call a place their community of faith? What do you think it's going to matter to them to hear how we talk about unity or to witness how we model unity? So as I come to a close, I'm going to invite you to do some deep soul searching. Are we missing love amongst one another? Can we humble ourselves and open our hearts and our minds for that converting kind of breakthrough that only God can do? Because only with God's power and God's grace and God's salvation and God's love, we have hope and we will persevere. We are to have the mind of Christ. Christ says, the living word does not need more gatekeepers. The living word, the incarnational truth needs a lot more living temples. Mark 3.35, Jesus said, Whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother, is family. So let us remember our baptism. We were cleansed. The breakthrough came first from God unto us. Sin kept us apart. Jesus Christ broke through, took us in, converts us, sanctifies us, 
adopts us into the family, empower us to be the mission. Let us be the church today that the world needs today. Are you in? God bless you.